Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello, podcasters and fellow listeners. Today, the market's looking uh, pretty green across the board, it seems like. So, at least today is a decent day for the stock market. But we got a lot of information to go over today. First, we're going to be talking more about Elon Musk. Apparently, there's reports currently that he's trying to lessen his contributions to buying out Twitter. We then are going to be able to talk about fertilizer, which never thought I'd talk about on this channel, and how it relates to corn, as that was a big deal yesterday on the news. We're also going to be able to talk about U.S. manufacturing and what was recently passed with the White House, uh, a bill that was just passed as well. And finally, we'll end today's podcast by talking about Warren Buffett and his most recent purchase in the stock market. Now, before, as always, before we begin this podcast, I have to remind you that I am not a financial advisor in any way, shape, or form. Everything on this podcast is for entertainment purposes. Please speak to your own financial advisor before investing as they know your situation better than I do. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. According from Rudders, exclusive, Musk seeks to put in less money in new Twitter deal financing sources. Elon Musk is in talks with large investment firms and high net worth individuals about about taking on more financing for his $44 billion acquisition of Twitter and tying up less of his wealth in the deal, people familiar with the matter said. Musk is the world's richest person, with Forbes estimating his net worth is at $245 billion, yet most of his wealth is tied up in shares of Tesla, the electric car maker. He leads... He, the, the, uh, the electric car maker that he leads. Last week, Musk disclosed he sold $8.5 billion worth of Tesla stock following his agreement to buy Twitter. The new financing, which could come in the form of preferred or common equity, could reduce the $21 billion cash contribution that Musk has committed to, to the deal, as well as a margin loan he secured against his Tesla shares, the source says. The banks that have agreed last month to provide $13 billion in loads, b- loans based on Twitter's business uh, balked at the R. Offering more debt for Musk acquisition given the San Francisco-based company's limited cash flow, Reuters reported last month. goes on later in the article to say that uh, Musk is still deciding whether he will have partners team up with him in writing the equity check needed for the deal. The source said Musk is not seeking to take on more debt for the Twitter deal currently, the source added. Now, we've talked about this a lot in the past. Um, Elon's probably still going to go through with this, at least in past podcasts, we've talked about it, but at the end of the day too, if this is really true, and I have a hard time believing that, that Elon's trying to pull out of this deal, then we'll not really pull out. He's not trying to finance it as much as he needs to, because we all know if he sells too much shares or too many shares of Tesla, that that could be a huge issue for the stock of Tesla. And it would cause potentially a panic within Tesla shareholder base at the end of the day. So it seems like Elon's going to have to figure out how to get more capital to raise it. I mean, it even says in the article itself, too, that 
Um, major investors such as private equity firms, hedge funds, and high net worth individuals are in talks with Musk about providing preferred equity financing for the acquisition, the source said. And two of the groups they mention is Apollo Global Management Inc. and Eris Management Corp. So what Elon decides to do going forward might determine a lot of how, mu- how much control he has of Twitter. I personally think at the end of the day, he will provide the money. It just might take a little bit more time for him to get the money that he needs to buy out the company. But at the end of the day, it just depends on what Musk's goal is going to be with being able to get the company to go private. So keep an eye out for that, guys. Um, At least if you guys are still trying to keep up with what's happening with Twitter. I think also that this could be potential propaganda as well, that they're trying to make it sound like Elon is not going to be able to buy it. But we don't know at this point. So we got to keep an eye out for that some more. Next article. The fertilizer sector set for the biggest profits in years on Russia-Ukraine conflict. Fertilized makers are set to post the biggest quarterly profits in years following a supply squeeze of essential corp nutrients due to the Ukraine crisis, according to analysis. Top fertilized makers, Nutrien, Mosaic Company, and CF Industries are expected to benefit as sanctions on Russia and Belarus, the world's second and third producer of potash, sent prices of the key fertilizer nutrients to levels not seen since two, since the 2008 food crisis. It's interesting that we're having another food crisis potentially, at least at the time when reading this article. And of course, the CNBC was reporting yesterday that corn prices were going to be going through the roof. And I decided to look a little bit more into this. And I actually did find something that I think some of you would find interesting. According to the Farmer's Brewer, no, Farmer's Farmer's um, correction, the, 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 uh, farmers, uh, brewer, it says that, um, Ukraine, Russia, uh, volatile, volatile to AG markets says here in the article from the blog post, though a distant second for now to the humanitarian crisis brought on by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the market's volatility occurring along with it has many worried about how rising commodity prices will affect those outside of the region. It is well known Ukraine is a powerhouse producer and exporter of some key agriculture products. The country is a market mover in the crops and countries in which it trades, so disruptions in the Ukraine market are having ripple effect across the world. The growing global concern is that the prolonged absence of Ukraine products on the global market will lead to additional suffering in the form of food price crisis in countries not directly involved in the conflict. So the farmers, uh, the farmers, farmers sector of the U.S. government actually did a little bit of research, and they actually came to find out that this is this is where things get interesting. This potentially might be overblown, at least on the corn sector. Wheat sector might be a little bit more concerning, and fertilizer could potentially be a little bit concerning. But it says here, Ukraine is a significant producer and exporter of agriculture products. In in 2021, Ukraine exported more than $27 billion in agriculture products to the world. Ukraine's top export markets are the 27 nations that now um, comprise of European Union at $7.6 billion, China at $4.2 billion, India at $2 billion, Egypt at $1.5 billion, and Turkey also at $1.5 billion. 
These top five markets account for more than 60% of Ukraine's agriculture exports. Now, we have to remember, if you've ever studied history, you would know that Ukraine was always considered to be the breadbasket of the former Soviet Union. And so the fact that even now that they own 60% is still mind-boggling to think about. But if we look into the corn sector of their exports, this is where things break down a little bit more. Ukraine, according to their study, only gives about 13% of corn exports to the world. Russia is at 2%, so a total of 15%. The United States is at 37%. And it says here for their article on the article that um, Ukraine exported more than 5.8 billion in corn to the world in 2021. China at 1.9 billion and the EU at 1.8 billion were the top two destinations for Ukraine corn, accounting for more than 60% of the corn exports. So I expect there to be a potential corn shortage in the European Union and maybe China. And I'm only hesitant on China because I think China could potentially find other ways to get corn potentially from the United States. I mean, it might cause corn prices to rise within the United States. But at the end of the day, it's also just a little bit mind-boggling that it's only 13%. And they're making it such a big deal currently on CNBC News that it's going to be this terrible, terrible world in the making that corn prices are going to go up. Now, they might go up, and I could be completely wrong about it. But at least from looking at it from the government's point of view on this, it just seems like it's being really blown out of proportion currently. I mean, obviously, other things could happen, but... You just never know. I mean, 37% ex exported from, I think it was 37%. Uh, let me see here again. Yeah, 37% comes from the United States. So I think the United States should be fine with corn. The wheat issue is a different story, though. And this, I can understand a little bit of concern. Because this article is saying that 8% of the Ukraine exports wheat, which is not big of not a big deal on a scale. But then you look at Russia, and we've been putting sanctions on Russia, and Russia's at 20%. They export 20% of the world's wheat, and the United States is at 13%. Okay? It says here about wheat. Ukraine exported $5.1 in wheat to the world in 2021. The destinations for Ukraine wheat are completely different than that of the top destinations for Ukrainian corn in 2021. The destinations were Egypt at $858 million, Indonesia at $727 million, and Turkey at $455 million. Pakistan at 353 million and Morocco at 232 million. I mean, at the end of the day, that's really concerning. And of course, there's Russia wheat, which they break it down as friendly and unfriendly countries. And they control a good chunk of majority. Wheat prices might go up in general at the end of the day, but it's still just very somewhat concerning about with the wheat industry potentially since Russia does own about 20% of the wheat exportation. And finally with fertilizer, obviously fertilizer, Russia exports a lot of it to the world. So if food prices do go up, it's probably because fertilizer is hard to get, at least if it's coming from Russia. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it just depends. But it's just things to look out for, guys. I mean, I don't expect corn prices to go up in the United States. I do expect wheat prices to potentially, but it also depends on the fertilizer, what's happening. Because it says here, the availability of price fertilizer has been the top concern for farmers around the world for months. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has only complicated, um, already challenging global fertilizer markets. Western sanctions Russia's real 
um, regulatory export ban has taken Russia, a significant producer and exporter of fertilizer, out of many country markets. It says here Russia is the largest nitrogen exporter at 16.5%. And it says the world's third largest phosphate exporter at 12.7%. And 16.5% for global potassium exports in 2018. So besides energy, fertilizer is going to be an issue. Food prices, I do expect to go up in some areas of the market. The question just becomes at the end of the day is what will go up based off the supply and demand of what people are currently needing. So keep an eye out for that, guys. And potentially, the more we keep an eye on it, the more we're able to potentially prepare for what might happen in the market. That's if you guys are huge into investing in corn. I mean, I haven't really met a whole lot of people who are like, yeah, I invested in corn the other day. But... I do know people who have talked about it in the past, so thought I'd just share that information with you guys today. Just to also give you an idea that the world isn't as ending as badly as people think it is, just based off the numbers currently. Now, this is where things get a little concerning. So, it was reported that U.S. manufacturing activity slows in more than one and a half years as workers quit. U.S. factory activity grew at its slowest pace in more than one and a half years in April amid a rise in workers quitting their jobs and manufacturers are becoming more anxious about supply over the summer because China's zero tolerance policy. The Institution for Supply Management Manufacturing Business Survey Committee Chair um, said on a Monday that coronavirus outbreaks overseas were creating a near-term headwind for the U.S. manufacturing community, noting that some of the manufacturers worried about their Asian partners' ability to deliver reliable re- reliable in the summer months. The ISM index of, natural, of the national factory activity fell to a reading of 55.4 last month, the lowest since matching reading in September 2020 from 57.1% in March. The last time the index was lower was in July of 2020. So it says here five of the six big manufacturing industry, manufacturing, computer electronic products, food, transportation, equipment, chemical products, registered moderate to strong growth. Manufacturers offered a mixed assessment of supply chains. Should be interesting because at first I was like, okay, manufacturing, slowest, pretty self-explanatory why. I mean, we've talked about it with Boeing. We've talked about it with supply chains issues. We even just talked about it potentially too with the food that's being exported from Ukraine and Russia at the end of the day. We've talked about it with the wine industry in past podcasts. And then this article comes out from CNBC and from Reuters at this virtually the same time. Biden administration announced it's $3.1 billion to make electric vehicle batteries in the U.S. Okay. And then obviously Reuters is reporting U.S. to spend more than $3 billion on EV battery manufacturing from the White House. So CNBC kind of goes into details about it, but not really that much. It just says like funding is part of the bipartisan infrastructure law enacted in 2021. The funds will go to U.S. companies working to build new EV battery factories or overhaul existing plants to make batteries and related components. An additional $60 million will aid in battery recycling. And of course, CNBC is reporting that uh, it says here, separately, the Department of Energy said additional $60 million will be available to support reuse and recycling of used batteries. And then finally, it says here that um, from a quote from the Energy Secretary, it says, we'll give our domestic supply chain the jolt it needs to become more secure and less reliant on other nations. A key priority of the administration in the wake of the global supply chain disruption and followed Russia invasion of Ukraine. This is them trying to get off 
oil in a way. Because if you read the Rudders article, it actually goes into more of the politics side of things of what's happening with the EV situation. It says the Biden administration will allocate more than $3 billion infrastructure funding to financial electric vehicle battery manufacturing, U.S. officials said on Monday. The funds will be allocated. We've just talked about this. But it says here, Biden wants half, ve- half of the vehicles sold to be electric by 2030, a goal he hopes will boost unionized manufacturing jobs in key election battleground states, throw off Chinese competition in a fast-growing market, and reduce climate change carbon emissions. The administration is also positioning the measure as a steep of secure energy independence and long-term inflation pressures exacerbated by the Russian February 24th invasion of Ukraine. Okay, that's just an excuse at the end of the day. They keep using the Russian ex- the Russian invasion as an excuse. When in reality, if people remember from, I think it was when the first day of Joe Biden's presidency, the first thing he did was he shut down Keystone Pipeline, if I'm not mistaken, and then he prevented drilling in federal lands. Okay, I remember thinking at the time that oil was going to skyrocket, and sure enough, it virtually has. Okay. They can blame it all they want on Russia, but at the end of the day, there's not enough oil being pumped. There is a huge energy crisis in the making, and they're focusing on EV batteries, okay? Here's the other thing, too, and it's something that's not talked about. It was kind of tucked away in the news in April 15th, actually, when it was announced, and you know that news is slow when they purposely do this because they don't want to, quote-unquote, as they would say in politics, upset their voter base at the end of the day because like i just said according to rudders the whole thing on the ev batteries for key battleground states to get people to vote there is a midterm election coming up guys and to me that's kind of a little i would say pathetic that they're trying to do it that way but at the end of the day i mean this is a marketing channel and I mean, not marketing, this is a stock market channel and stock market and politics are sometimes intertwined with each other. Because this is what happened on April 15th. The Biden administration to resume leasing for oil and gas drilling on federal lands. Washington from ABC News. The Biden administration said it will resume selling leases to drill for oil and gas on federal lands starting next week. But the majority, but the major reduction in the number of acres offered and an increase in the royalty companies must pay to drill. The Interior Department announced that on Monday it will release a sale notice for at least a drill of 144,000 acres of government land, 80% less to what was initially being evaluated for potential leasing. President Joe Biden, who on the campaign trail called for an end to drilling on federal lands, has been looking for ways to temporarily increase U.S. energy production to help drive down the prices of gas. His administration has been under growing pressure to do so more. Um, to lower gas prices, with Republicans in particular saying it should be allowed more drilling. Industry experts say it will take at least six months to a year before new drilling on federal land would produce additional supply and ultimately bring down the cost of gas, which has emerged as a major midterm election issue. Okay, here's the thing. There is a huge energy crisis, and I'm sure everyone's starting to feel it in some way, shape, or form, whether it's at the pump, at the gas station, or if it's just feeling it in the electric bills at home. At the end of the day, there's not just an energy crisis within the United States. There's an energy crisis in the world right now, okay? EV batteries is not going to solve it. EV batteries might potentially make things worse because you have to actually dig more out of the ground to get the EV batteries out. I mean, sure, you want to be a more electric car friendly, so be it. But 
it just seems like it's not the right steps to take. We need more energy. And, and this also begs the question of who's going to make more money at the end of the day? Is it going to be the EV companies that are making these batteries right now? Or is it going to be the oil companies at the end of the day? And this is something that is always going to be fought about on the market until either oil goes away, which I don't see that happening because there's just oil touches too much of our market in every way, shape, and form. Even Elon Musk has mentioned too in the past that we should be drilling more oil and he's the top producer of EV batteries. So, I mean, we need energy, not EV batteries right now. This is just insane. But if you want to make money, start looking into EV batteries and potentially the oil companies as well because there's going to be a huge energy crisis in the making if things aren't settled soon. But like I said, these are just my thoughts currently on that issue, so... Final thing we need to talk about, <clears throat> Activision shares rise as Buffett reveals Berkshire's 9.5% stake. Now, for those of you who have followed the market for a while, you would know that Warren Buffett is not huge on technology stocks at the end of the day. And the fact that Warren Buffett's buying this says a lot, okay? And, and he bought it, not his company, Berkshire. He bought it because it says here, shares rose on Monday after Warren Buffett said his company, Berkshire Hathaway Inc., had taken a 9.5% stake in the video game maker, which Microsoft Corp. has agreed to buy for $68.7 billion. Buffett revealed that approximately $5.6 billion investment in Activision on Saturday at his Berkshire annual meeting in Omaha, Nebraska. He said he may increase the stake to above 10%. Activision shares were up $2.13 or 2.8% to $77.73 in the afternoon trading, trading after early rising to $78.22. The remain far below the $95 share price that Microsoft offered on January 18th. It says here the merger would combine Activision, whose franchises include Call of Duty and Candy Crush, with Microsoft's Xbox, which makes gaming consoles and more franchises included Halo. Buffett appears to believe the Activision... The Ac Activision share price is low because investors are overly pessimistic about whether the U.S. and European Union regulators will approve of the merger. One of portfolio managers has built a 1.1 billion stake in Activision late last year, but Buffett said he, the subsequent bet was his. He wanted to be very clear that it was Warren Buffett's decision, and he doesn't know what the Justice Department is going to do. He doesn't know what the EU is going to do, Buffett said. One thing we do know is Microsoft has the money. It's true. Microsoft is one of the biggest companies out there and it has the money to handle virtually anything that's thrown at them. Even says here on CNBC News, and this is a quote from Warren Buffett about the acquisition. He says, occasionally I see an um, Artebridge um, deal and I, and I, uh, sorry guys, occasionally I see an Artebridge deal and do it. Berkshire chairman and CEO said, occasionally it looks like the odds are in our favor. But absolutely, we can lose money on that company. Fairly large sums of money, depending on what happens if the deal blows up. Uh, Buffett said he has been buying more shares of Activision since the deal was announced, as the stock is trading way below Microsoft's offer. Buying at these levels will yield a bigger return if the deal closes. If the deal goes through, this is a quote from Warren Buffett, we'll make some money. And if the deal doesn't go through, who knows what happens, Buffett says. Continuing from his quote, we don't know what the Justice Department will do. We don't know what the EU will do. We don't know what the 30 other, we've, we just talked about this. Microsoft has the money. That's what pretty much Warren Buffett is saying. I, I think this is also an excuse for Warren Buffett to get in to Microsoft. I mean, he's known probably about Microsoft for years. He's good friends with Bill Gates. He's been talking with Bill Gates for years. 
For the longest time, Warren Buffett believed not to buy into companies that he had friends in. But that obviously changed, obviously, when he bought a little bit into J.P. Morgan Chase a few years back because he's really good friends with Jamie Dimon. And now it's potentially happening again with Microsoft. So Warren Buffett's not a tech genius. I mean, he's just barely... He, I mean, for the longest time he had IBM and now he's into... And he has a ton of Apple stock. Sometimes I'm jealous about how much Apple stock he has just based off how much money Apple makes. But he... He he he's getting into Activision because I think he he sees a way to get into Microsoft at a at a better price. Warren Buffett loves investing. He's been doing it since he was like eleven or thirteen. So the man knows what he's doing. But like he has mentioned, Wall Street thinks it's not going to happen. According to TechSpot, Microsoft acquisition of Activision Blizzard threatened by FTC as shareholders approved deal. It says here that. I believe, oh yeah, a group of organizers last month urged the FTC to monitor Microsoft's takeover, warning that it could have anti-competitive horizontal effects. The statement noted that the deal could have also a uh, dermental impact on the unionization efforts of some of Blizzard staff, noting that no U.S. Microsoft staff belong to unions. It also says here in the article as well somewhere, that Wall Street doesn't think the deal's going to go through. Uh, actually, here it is. It says, however, the current share price has, found, has fallen around $77, suggesting that investors aren't confident the merger will be finalized. I personally think the merger will happen. I mean, I haven't really looked into the deal that much, but I mean, Activision's a gaming company. And Microsoft, I mean, they do own a little bit of gaming, but it's not a complete monopoly in the gaming gaming world. I mean, even right now, we've talked about this in past podcasts as well. But like right now, you have VR chat that's competing with uh, Metaverse from Facebook, the parent company. That's a gaming company. You're sure, you play on your laptop, but that's part of the gaming company world, right? You also have um, Ubisoft. Ubisoft makes a lot of games as well. Nintendo, Sony... Um, who, who else? Uh, PlayStation. I mean, there's no virtual monopoly in the making of the gaming industry. I mean, all all the gaming industry is turning into is potentially like a similar fate of the streaming wars that are happening in the streaming world. I see this going through. Maybe um, Microsoft has to sell some things or maybe Activision has to sell some of their business in order for the deal to go through. But I believe that the deal will go through at the end of the day because it's not a monopoly. And if it and if the government believes it's a monopoly, I would be fairly surprised because I just named a couple of companies that make video games. They don't make the consoles, all of them, but they do make games. And I just don't see how merging Microsoft with Activision becomes a monopoly in the making. I think that term's thrown around too much by people because... I don't think people do a lot of research and they just go with their gut feeling like to just scream at the top of the rooftops that it's a monopoly in the making. So, but yeah, I think the deal will go through, but we'll find out soon because they're having a meeting soon about it in the EU and obviously in the US government as well to see if this is really a monopoly. So with that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. I ask that if you've enjoyed everything about it, that you please like and subscribe to this podcast so that we can continue to grow this channel and be able to keep talking about 
the stock market and events that are happening that Wall Street tends to not look over a lot of times. So with that being said, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Thank you and goodbye.